0: All right, so first things right here. Let me just tell you a little bit about me. My name is Giuseppe Gatto. I'm the student ministries pastor here, a.k.a. best job in the world, a.k.a. be jealous. All right, I I would like to point out my father who is here today right there, the guy in the center there. He told me once that I didn't have a real job, and I said, don't be bitter because my job's more fun than yours. Okay? Just throwing it out there. I would, I would also like you to know that I'm a crack shot with a Nerf gun. I am the son of thunder. I'm very loud. And I am soon to be a papa, which I could not be more pumped about. And I, <sighs> yeah. Jody. she's – I mean I've got to put up with the pregnancy, but she's like putting up with the pregnancy right now, right? I would like to say anything that gets sent to my house for my kid immediately is put together and placed somewhere in my house. Crib, set up. Boom. Pack and play in the middle of my living room. High chair, done in the dining room. Like, it is everything. I walk by in Target because they hate you. They put all the cute baby stuff right by the registers. So I'm like, oh, yeah, real quick. I'm just going into here to grab something like toothpaste. And I walk in. I walk by, and I'm like, but the baby stuff. I'm walking in. I found this little, like, newborn onesie with, like, these really intense green pants with a bow tie with little dinosaurs on them. Oh, it is adorable. Okay. So now that that's out of the way, let's go ahead. We are going to continue with um, Scott's series in Mark this week. Oh, that's right. Thanks. They're waving Bibles. Uh People whose name ushers are coming down with Bibles. If you need one, because we'll be reading it today, feel free to grab one as they come by. Okay. So, but while they're passing these out, I got a quick question for you. How many of you guys have had friends growing up that have got you to do dumb stuff? Okay. Go ahead. There you go. A lot more honest in second service. A lot more honest. Fellas, if your hand was not raised, it was for one of three reasons, okay? One, you're outright lying, okay? Two, you had no friends growing up, or three, you are the dumb friend, okay? That's it. Because you get one guy, one guy has one full brain, right? Two guys together share half a brain. Three or more guys together, no brain at all. Okay, a guy walks up, sees a 30-foot cliff. Okay, this I'm speaking from personal experience here, okay? Sees a 30-foot cliff that falls into the lake. That's a little dangerous. Maybe, maybe I won't jump off that. Two guys, yeah, but that would be fun, wouldn't it? Yeah, totally fun. Three guys, front flip, off this. Who can beat it? No one, watch me. <laughs> Takes off. I have done a front flip belly flop at 30 feet. Don't recommend it. <laughs> Bruised. From waist to neck, all the way down to my palms. Black, not black and blue. Black for a week. Whew. Whew. Okay, so I'm the dumb friend. There we go. Now, let's go ahead and let's open up in Mark. Okay, we're going to read Mark 11, verses 1 through 6. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter, it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied to, at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. Another real quick thing. I have dyslexia, so if you notice that I say a word that isn't present in the scripture, ignore it and read along and just act like it was all part of the plan. Okay, so what do we got here? We got Jesus basically telling two of his disciples to steal. That's what we've got. Now, in foresight, was Jesus telling them to steal? No, no, it wasn't. He was basically saying God has... This arranged for me ahead of time. I need you to go get it. But the disciples, they don't know this, right? They're not thinking like that. This is what, it's basically like if Jesus is here today, he's like, hey, uh, you too. There's a Ferrari over in the grocery store. Keys are in it. I want you to walk over. I want you to grab it. Bring it here. Anybody says anything, tell them God needs it. All right? We'll see you. Okay? I, I'm just like, I'm imagining the two disciples walking up. I'm like, okay, man. Okay, we got this. There it is. There it is. Okay, and they're freaking out. Why are they freaking out? They're freaking out because in Exodus 22, it explains what happens when you steal a donkey. Okay. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. If a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. But if the sun has risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him. He shall surely pay if he has nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. If the stolen beast is found alive in his possession, whether it is ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall pay double. Why are they freaking out? Because at the wrong time of day, they can be beat to death legally. I am losing my mind as that disciple right there. And that's only if it's the wrong time of day. If it's, you know, if they, ex, you know, it's daytime, which it is. It turns out if they ain't got nothing, they what happens to them? Sold into slavery. Just like that. Boom. So you steal something. You pay double. If you can't pay double, you are sold for it. So Jesus tells these two disciples to go take this ox. And they're walking over and it's like. Okay, here it is. Here we go. We got this. You know what? Just okay. You untie it. No, you untie it. And then what do they do? They probably settled it at like all men truly settle things: rock, paper, scissors. Right? Okay. Well, you lost, man. Scissors cuts paper. Okay. Okay. I'm untying it. Just act like a boss. I got this. This is my donkey. All right. Hey, we're getting away with it. Hey, what are you doing with the donkey? Well, this donkey? Well, uh, God needs it. All right. It worked. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to try this with fish later. I can't believe this is happening right now. They get away with it, right? That's intense. Jesus is that friend. See, they don't know 100%. And the punishment is intense. Okay? So let's keep moving on. We're going to start again in Mark 11:7 through 11. All right? 7-11. I caught that last night at 1.30 in the morning. It was awesome. <laughs> and they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Real quick, Hosanna. When I read this as a kid, I thought, that's the name. Right? Hosanna sounds like a name. That's like Jesus' hood name. That's what they call him on the streets. Hosanna. That's what's up. Here he come. It's, no, that's not it. I mean, you would think, like, that's a little girly for Jesus. But, you know, Jesus can pull stuff off, right? He's a bro. So, it turns out, Hosanna is actually like a term of jubilation. It's like, oh, save us. Okay? So, it's, it's not a name, which I initially thought it was. It is actually a declaration. So, blessed is the coming kingdom Of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went to Bethany with the twelve. Now, it's all about the entry. Right? Pulling off a sweet entry can get you out of a lot of stuff. Speaking from personal experience, Johanian literature, senior year of college. I wake up when the class is supposed to start. It's on the other side of campus. I'm freaking out. What do I do? All of a sudden, out of nowhere, I get this idea. I'm going to dress up in the one suit that I own. I'm going to go to class looking like a boss. Right? So, now, when when you're late to a class, what you typically do is when you show up, you're like, it's almost like when you're late to church, you know, you're like, I got this. Right? You're all nice and sneaky. That's how I meant to enter the room. Who here has seen Seinfeld? <laughs> Kramer's status. I walk up. Boom! I'm through the door. It's both. Two doors swing wide open. I was like, just go with it. I walk in. I'm like, Dr. D walks in. He says, well, hello, Mr. Giuseppe. I said, how you doing, Dr. D? And I walk right over to my seat, which is at the front of the class. Why? Because it's the only place I can focus. And he says, You look very good. I said, You look good too, Dr. D. Boom, take my seat. My friend looks over and says, Notice what he didn't do? I said, Mark me absent or late. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> An entry, it, it conveys thought, meaning, right? It feeling. Experiment. I'm going to walk into the room and you tell me how this makes you feel, okay? still feels so much better out here than it does in there. Okay. Hakuna Jody, Matata. drop that beat. What a wonderful phrase. Hakuna Matata ain't no person crazed. It means no worries for the rest of When you walk into Hakuna Matata, there ain't no worries. Right? What does that make you feel? When you hear... First off, in the year 2017, at the technological point we are, everyone should have a theme song that plays when they enter a building. <laughs> okay? Incredibly disappointed in the world right now today. So, when I walk into Hakuna Matata and I'm all, you know, how I am, how does that make you feel? What do you think when you see something like that? Happy. Thank you. you Thank you for answering that. So I'm going to let you know, I rarely ask rhetorical questions. But when I do, I will preface it with, this is rhetorical, I don't want to know. So when I say something, you could very easily just answer it, and you won't get in trouble. I ain't Scott. Okay, hakuna matata. Right? So when I walk in, how does it make you feel? Happy, relaxed, you're hanging out. Now, let's try something else, okay? Okay. I'm really excited for this one. (laughs) All right, talk to me. First, let's just settle this once and for all. Greatest trilogy of all time. Okay, thank you. Any arguments can be submitted in our special filing cabinet right next to the coffee. It's called the trash can. Okay, <laughs> greatest. When did that? When that first came out in 1977? Five? Seven five. Seven, five. Seven. Okay, seven five. Something like that. Seven seven. Somewhere around there. 70s. Everybody's happy now. In the 70s, and you saw Darth Vader walk into the Imperial March, your first thought was, stuff is gonna go down. Right here, right now. Bro is buff. Okay? By the way, I saw the greatest video of all time. Who here has ever been to Disneyland? You know the Star Wars area, which I like to call Disneyland Star Wars Land because that's the really important stuff there. Okay? And they have the little like Jedi Academy thing. Little girl goes to fight Darth Vader, takes a knee, asks to be his disciple. In that moment, I was like, if I have a daughter, I will never be more proud of her in that moment. She could go to school and graduate as like a rocket scientist. I will never be more proud than when she did that. That would be amazing. So when Jesus enters, okay, the entry is everything. This is a very unique entry, even for Jesus. we going back to the scriptures. Now, when Jesus walks around to places, how does he go? He walks in a very unassuming manner. Every time Jesus is healing someone, he's pretty much like, keep it to yourself. Now who does that? Right? Like who gets cured by Jesus and like can now walk and just is like, you know what? That's a good idea. This is between you and me, bro. Let's look. We're good. No, you go and tell everybody, right? So he goes around, and he's very in this unassuming manner. He doesn't want his presence really known in places. He's kind of like it's like like secretly like ninja status, right? Healing folk as he passes by, like ninja star healing. Okay, (laughs) that's how he goes around. For the first time, Jesus enters somewhere properly. Now, if you were a good Jewish boy or a good Jewish girl. When Jesus rides in on this donkey, you would immediately have the image of a conquering king. And you get this from scripture in Zechariah 9.9. 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey. On a colt, the fowl of a donkey. Zechariah 9.9 is being heard in your mind, in your heart, as you're watching Jesus come into Jerusalem at this moment. Now, foresight. Jesus isn't just the conquering king in this moment. What else is he? Savior. You know what's interesting? Someone, that was someone's very first initial thing last service too. Very true, but not what I'm looking for. To be the savior, he has to what? Yes. He's not just entering Jerusalem for the last time as the conquering king. He's entering Jerusalem as the condemned king. A little bit of foresight there for you. And spoiler, if you haven't ever read the scriptures, Jesus dies. Okay. Sorry. There's going to be a few spoilers, so spoiler alerts ahead of time. Okay. Just uh, just throwing it out there at you. Okay, so let's do this. Let's go again back to the scripture. We're going to start with Mark 11, verses 12 through 14. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. Because he's a dude, and guys are hungry a lot. Like, I get that. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to the see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. For it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Now this seems a little weird, right? Jesus just like had a freakish outburst of anger at an inanimate object. And he curses a tree. This is a step. Okay. We've never really seen Jesus do this before. First off, he's talking to a tree. Thankfully, the tree doesn't talk back. That would be really strange. Okay. Now we, this by itself you won't understand. This scripture is not supposed to be read on its own. To fully understand this, we're going to have to read a lot further into the chapter. Okay, we'll come back to it, I promise. By the way, has anyone here ever eaten a fig? They are fantastic. <laughs> my grandfather, he would attempt to grow things as a child, my Papa Rico Benny, and I would eat everything he grew. He grew strawberries, I ate the strawberries. From the dirt. Okay, saw strawberry in the dirt. He grew a fig tree in the backyard. I ate every fig. He had that moment where he walked up to a fig, except it was in season, okay? And there were no figs on it. There were a lot in his toilet later, but at the moment, there was not on his tree, okay? So we're going to skip ahead, all right? And we're going to go straight into Mark uh, 11, 15 through 19. And they came to Jerusalem, and he said... And he said, he entered, there's that dyslexia thing. I'm sorry. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written? My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Please underline all nations in your mind. But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. All right, so Jesus is in rare form right now, okay? He has just cursed a fig tree in the scripture. Directly from cursing the fig tree, he freaking out at the money changers in the temple, right? Like, he is going nuts on people. He's straight up Miley Cyrus style, like, I came in, you at like a wrecking ball, right? Okay, that is Jesus at this moment. Uh, When you initially read the scripture with the cursed fig tree there, and then you read the cleansing of the temple, you get the idea that Jesus is a lot like this clip right here. And Hulk. (sighs) Smash if you have never seen the Avengers you have something to do directly following church today and if you need it, I own it, but I do expect it back in the same form it was given. Okay, that movie is fantastic. So you get this idea that much like the Hulk in this moment, Jesus is just this rage-filled dude who is wrecking everything in his path. By the way, I hope you heard it. Okay, when the Hulk was grabbing one of the ch- Chitari, now I remember it, first service couldn't remember it. When he grabs one of the Chitari aliens and he throws it at the building, it lets out a scream. So funny. It's like "Ah!" one thirty in the morning last night, I heard that and was dead. It was so funny. Okay, so you get this idea that he is just he's going nuts. Now I have another clip that we're about to show, but before we show it, I want to preface this before that what happens on the screen is this family walks into this like convenience store slash like restaurant deli thing. And these four punk kids, teenagers, come in after them and start to, like, threaten and mess with them. Okay? Directly following that, this happens. I you to buddy in. The buddy in. Hup. Hup, you just come out of the hospital. Well, hey, there's, uh, there's only four of them. Yeah, well, look, look, you fight this one first. Yeah. And then I'll let you fight the other three after, okay? Yeah. Okay. Watch this, kid. Now, you... You better pick that knife up Because, son, you're going to need all the help you can get <laughs> Come on, Frankie Get him, Frankie Come on, oh, Frankie Get him, Frankie Get him, get him. Get him Frankie Come on, oh, <laughs> ah! 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 Shoot Always fit in the book <laughs> oh! Okay you hold it wrong, son Not like this You always do it like this Smooth, all right? <laughs> Try again. Come on, Frankie <laughs> Come on, Frankie Get him Cut yeah. it! Come come it. Up, come come it. Come it! You got it! You got it. it. it ah! 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 Oh. Stop! 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 Oh! I like it! So, better get arm! in there and help. Always hugs bad guys. He's selfish that way. But there's four of them. Three of them. Go on ahead. Hey. It's my boy. Can you share? After forty years, I'm used to it. Secondhand Lions, also another fantastic. Just so you know, he's literally living my dream. It is my dream to have like a couple of whippersnappers because when you get to a certain age, that is an okay term to use. Okay. Well, a couple of whippersnappers come in and try to start something. Then I get to beat them up. That is little. Oh, I tell you what. I, the moment when he's like, well, you just come out the hospital. Well, there's only four of them. And then he says, oh, you better pick that knife up right there. You're going to need all the help you can get. <laughs> and when he shows me how to do the knife and he throws it back at him, oh, my gosh, it's fantastic. Okay, so what, what you don't see in the clip is what happens directly following this scene. Directly following this scene in Secondhand Lions, Hub puts all these beat-up kids in their car and drives them to his house. And when he's there, he takes care of their wounds that he gave them. Okay. He cooks them dinner, and then before he sends them on their way, he teaches them and tells them what it means to be a man. Literally, that's my dream. I want to beat up a bunch of kids, take them home, cook for them, and then tell them, send them on their way and tell them what it means to be a man. How legit is that? Oh, gosh. But the difference in the two clips is the first one, the Hulk is just this rage, mindless, rage filled beast that's just destroying everything in his path. The difference with Secondhand lines with Hub, is that there's more behind the outrage. And that's similar to the scripture here. Jesus is, I'm t- giving you a little foresight here. There's more to Jesus' outrage than what seems to be. Okay? And I know it seems a little aggressive. But why would Jesus be angry? Why would he be this angry? And I can tell you that theologians have talked about this and discussed this. Okay. Some of the ideas is that, you know, well, they're selling animals in the temple. And what's the temple at the time? Church. That's a good one. What? What was it? Sacred. Sacred, Thank you. What's at the center of the temple? The holiest of holies. God, second service again, kicking the crap out of first service. Okay, so God, the Ark of the Covenant, the physical presence of God. I am physically present right here on the stage. Okay, last place I want to be in the world. Okay, but right here on the stage, I am physically present. God's physical presence is in the holiest of holies. One time, once a year, one guy would walk into the holiest of holies. Separating the holiest of holies from the rest of the temple is this enormous curtain. They would send one guy, the high priest, in once a year to give a sacrifice for all of Jerusalem. They would put bells at the bottom of his robe. And what, what did they do to his ankle? Tied a rope. Why? Casey died. Casey died. Walking in. He could die in there if he was not pure. But, okay, through sacrifices and things like that, if no sin can be in the presence of God, he would die. They hear, stop hearing in the ring and they would pull him out. That's intense. That is what the temple is. It is the physical resting place of the physical presence of God. Now, some theologians said, well, it's because they're selling animals there, which doesn't quite make sense because we're not that deep into the temple. We're actually closer to the outer courts of this area, and it doesn't make a lot of sense because it's a necessary part of worship. Okay, so we have mics so that you guys can hear people sing, right? Okay, that is a necessary part of worship. Okay, It would be like if we didn't have mics here and you had to drive to Livermore to go grab a mic and bring it here. Does that make sense? No. We keep mics here at the church for the church for worship. Okay, That just makes sense. So it would make sense that animals would be there to buy. What hap- the most common understanding of his outrage comes from when you read in the scripture, if we could go back to that real quick. When you read in verse 17, den of robbers, when you read den of robbers, it immediately gives you the impression that we've got a corrupt business. It's a defilement of the temple. Okay. So Jesus's outrage is this idea, excuse me, that there's a crooked business defrauding worshipers. And it's a perversion of the temple's original meaning, which is in the beginning of 17, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. When you read that, and you understand that a little bit, which we won't fully get the understanding of what's happening right here until we read the next section of verses. But when you read that, you start to understand the outrage a little bit. And you start to relate to it. And to be honest, I start to think, maybe we should get angry like that. Maybe I should be angry when the temple is defiled in that way. Okay, so before we move on, I want to preface the last section, okay, with that Mark uses a very particular way... Of explaining what's happening here in the verse. So right before the cleansing of the temple, we've what happens? Fig tree. tree. Okay, FYI, that is how an F should be written. I'm right. You're wrong. It makes more sense. Okay, now that we're got that over with, so we got the fig tree. All right. Then we have the cleansing of the temple. Right. I initially wrote cleansing. First service, and I was like, that seems a little too like Hitler for me, so I've got to like figure out. Glove Temple sounds a little bit better, okay? And then if it's a bracketing technique, what do you think comes after the cleansing of the temple? Fig tree. tree. Jody was here? First service, she cheats. <laughs> okay. By the way, that's my wife who carries my child. <laughs> now, so we've got fig tree bracketing. Okay, the cleansing of the temple. And what Mark does here is he uses these stories to not just explain one of them, but explain both of them. I almost fell off the stage. Did everybody else see that? I caught myself. That's a pretty good catch. I'm just going to throw it out there. Okay, so we've got this bracketing technique. So guess what we're going to read about again? The fig tree. Let's bring it on. Mark 11, 20 through 25. As they pass by in the morning they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered him, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Jesus uses the fig tree as the most B.A. object lesson on the planet. Okay, now there's going to be two things. All right, so the first thing he does is he shows the disqualification of the temple, the fruitless temple, if you will, okay now he does that, and that sounds kind of strange because you don't really feel like that when you look at the language more, Greek anybody here speak or write Greek? Me neither really difficult. <laughs> know that in Greek, words have deeper meanings, and because of that there's Tons of ways to write the same word in the language. Thankfully, it's not like that in English because English is hard enough for me as is. Okay, so we got the word season, right, in the first fig tree area. Now, when I say season, you immediately think spring, fall, winter, summer, Which I'm surprised you all think of any of those because there's only two, well, technically, I guess you guys do have four seasons in California. You got early spring, spring, late spring, and summer. Okay, so. (laughs) Here, the word season, we're thinking of like, you know, this is like a uh, botanical term. By the way, my dad's dad was a botanist. You like that, dad? Botanical. Botanical. Okay, so you get the idea that it's a botanical term. Now, in college, okay, I went to school for uh, student ministry. Literally, that was like my major, and it was the best major and toughest major because we take any other major in the school of theology takes some classes for their major, right? I take all of the major's classes to get my degree it's literally the hardest and most like intense schedule of all the the classes in school of theology but one of them we take inductive bible study and in here we learned well I was supposed to learn pass with like a 70 something feeling good okay it was really tough the guy super smart like to the point where I was asking another teacher for help in the class and they said "Mm, you must have Ken skank I said yes I do he said, the problem with Ken Skank is, is that at first glance of a passage, he sees more than most people will in a lifetime of study. That's what I'm dealing with people. <laughs> first day of class, we're reading scripture and someone says, what version of the Bible are you reading? I was told NIV is good for this class. He says, yeah, that'll work. Well, what are you reading? Cause that's not what my Bible says. He turns his Bible around. He's reading from the original Greek, like it's English. He's translating in the moment. I was like, ooh, I'm in the wrong class. I needed to take this with someone who's smart, but not that smart. It was tough. But in there, we learn word studies. So when you take a word, The best thing in the world, blueletterbible.com if you're a ministry major or if you ever want to just like learn deeper meaning of the scripture. You click on the passage, passage pops up. You click on a word in the passage, it will give you the original Greek. Not only that, it'll give you the translated into Hebrew, okay? And then it will tell you every single solitary spot in the Bible that it's written and the verse to go with it. Greatest thing of all time, which is why I'm directly against... Forcing people in seminary to learn Greek and Hebrew. If your class can be summed up in an app, it's not worth the time. Okay? It's good to know Greek and Hebrew if you want to know and learn those things, but do not force that upon me. Pass Hebrew with a 77. It was awesome. And I was really shocked that it was that high. Somebody said, There's no vowels in Hebrew. Psych, there's 20. Okay, there's like ton there's like five different ways to write A. How exciting is that? So the term here, we get this term, we see it one other time in Mark and it's in Mark chapter 1. And I have that verse right here. I should have this verse right here. Yes, okay. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The word time is that same word, which is in Greek, kairos, which I'm almost positive is not how it's pronounced. I'm pretty sure it's kairos, something like that, but that's what you're going to have to get. What? No. Oh, wait, you're Greek. My mom's Greek. How's it pronounced? Krios. Was that right? Krios. No, close. Close enough for a white kid from America. Okay, good. Krios. Okay, so in here, this word, which is the same word, all right, he doesn't use it as a botanical term, he uses it in direct relation to a time for the kingdom of God. This is where Jesus is disqualifying the fruitless temple. Now, he's also speaking directly to the power of prayer. Okay, so going back to that, Jesus here in Mark sounds an awful lot like he does in Matthew. And I have that verse right here. Matthew 17, verse 20. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Did anybody catch the caveat that is different between the two? What is the one thing That he changed. I know that it's mustard seed in one, moved mountain from here to there, mountain from here to the sea. Okay. The one thing that he chooses that's different is forgiveness. Forgiveness is that sneaky, hard, and powerful thing. Okay, so let's. You can say from this mount to move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible. I've got a couple of stories I want you to hear from this. The first one is that they're all about the power of prayer. I'm living in Indiana going to school there and I go to the same church that the guy who teaches me judo and jiu-jitsu goes to because it's like I didn't really know of any other churches to go to so he was like come to my church. I was like sure. You kick the crap out of me regularly. He was like the teacher and like... I remember like the first time he went to a judo thing, he had a white belt on and then he beat a black belt and they immediately gave him a brown belt, which is like the second to last belt to get like on day one. Okay, so the guy's really aggressive. (laughs) Okay, so I'm going to this church and the pastor's telling me a story of what had happened in the church a few days before that Sunday. A few days before that Sunday, a single mother comes in with her child. They're getting ready to go to the hospital. The daughter has a, it's either a softball or a cantaloupe-sized tumor in her gut. Little kid. As my, to quote my "Mom, that's a sin, right? Little kid like that. So she's in there. She's asking if the pastors will pray for her daughter before she goes into this doctor's appointment, which is the last one before surgery. They say, no problem, let's go get your daughter. Well, what had happened is she had left the daughter with all, there was a kid's function going on at that time. She left them with all the kids. All those little kids, little kids, I'm not talking about like my students up in the balcony right now, not high school, middle school kids, little teeny tiny, little like ankle biter size kids, okay? All, they walk into the room and they notice that every single kid is laying their hands on this girl praying for her. No adult initiated that. The kids did that. She leaves, goes to the doctor's office, comes back that very same day, tumor, 100% gone. In the moment. Because those little kids got it. And they told that mountain to move from here to there, and it did. My own life, I've seen this played out. Uh, So I'm going to preface this. I have a great relationship with my parents. I love my mom and dad. They love me. My mom cooks me great food. Like, not not these parents, my other parents that live in New York. Just throwing that out there. Just, they love me. They cook great food for me. I had back venison last night. Oh, my gosh. It was like melting in my mouth. Delicious. Okay. Anyway, got to get off the food. I'll